0: Here's a unique career path from computer science in college to CIA agent collecting intel in some of the most dangerous places on Earth to Republican congressman representing the 23rd District of Texas. We chatted with Congressman Will Hurd, whose district includes much of the Texas and Mexico border, about what immigration reform should look like. We also talk about the skills he learned at the CIA and how they're helpful in Washington, D.C. And we, of course, cover how he ended up on a 36-hour road trip with Democratic Congressman Beto O'Rourke.
1: Here's what was crazy. During that whole experience, we had like 26 million people watch. We were on every news program, which tells me that people actually want us to get along and solve big problems, that the American people want that.
0: Congressman Hurd also takes us into his world, giving us behind-the-scenes details about life as a lawmaker in the United States. I'm Andrew Kaufman, and this is The Strategist, presented by the George W. Bush Institute. What happens when you cross the 43rd president, late night sketch comedy, and compelling conversation? The Strategist, a podcast born from the word strategery, which was coined by SNL and embraced by the George W. Bush administration. We highlight the American spirit of leadership and compassion through thought provoking conversations. And we're reminded that the most effective leaders are the ones who laugh. here today with Will Hurd, Congressman from the 23rd District of Texas, Republican. Will, thank you so much for joining us this morning.
1: It's awesome to be, be with y'all today.
0: We're also with Matt Rooney, our co-host today, who is Managing Director of the Bush Institute SMU Economic Growth Initiative. Matt, thanks for joining us, as always.
2: As always, a pleasure to be here,
0: thanks. Say, say that title three times fast. That's why, that's why we made it that way. <laughs> Congressman, you're, you're a legislator and you're making the laws of the land. At this interesting point in history, What's what's your approach right now? Look, my approach now is the same
1: way it's always been. Um, you know, agree with people when I agree with them, disagree when I disagree. Um, the only way you get big things done is if you do it together. And so I've gotten 14 pieces of legislation signed into law that's under a Democratic president and a Republican president. I'm a Republican a legislator. And the only way I've gotten that many piece of legislation signed into law is by working together. And I actually believe we way more unites us than divides us, and so that's the strategy I've had since I've been in Congress, and now for four and a half years, and that's the the strategy I'm going to continue.
2: You know, Congressman, if you don't mind my asking, um, I think it's safe to say that Texas A and M to the intelligence community to Congress is a kind of a unique career path. <laughs> uh, what what sent you down that path?
1: Well. I thought I was going to be a programmer at IBM, and... I grew up in San Antonio and I had an internship at Southwest Research Institute and I was working for a female engineer who was like a leader in robotics and loved it and decided to pursue computer science in high school. And I went to A&M. I was supposed to go to Stanford, but I decided to go to A&M after being on campus. I I fell in love with it. And I had never been outside of Texas and I'm walking across the the campus um, for, Um, One afternoon and I see a sign that says take two journalism classes in mexico city for four hundred and twenty five dollars And I had four hundred and fifty bucks in my bank account So I go to mexico. (laughs) It was a sign. It was a sign. I fell in love being in another culture I fell in love seeing things. I'd only read about in books and I added international studies as a minor and in my first class, I had a guest lecturer who was this former CIA tough guy. And he told the most amazing stories. And I done, I did something the next day after hearing him that I hadn't done at that point in my college career. I went to a professor's office and knocked on the door. And that began our, a, a friendship. And that began my interest in the CIA. And so I went in right after, right after I graduated. And so. I was the dude in the back alleys at four o'clock in the morning collecting intelligence on threats to the homeland. Um, It was, you know, being in, in dangerous places, trying to stop bad guys from doing bad things in our homeland. And in addition to collecting intelligence, I had to brief members of Congress and to be frank, I was pretty shocked by the caliber of our elected officials. And I thought I could help the intelligence community in a different way. And I had some friends that ran races and put the idea of the 23rd District in my head, which is basically where I grew up. And I decided to run for Congress. I left a job I loved. Um, I did two years in, in training um, at what I used to call the super secret CIA training facility called The Farm. Now it's on Google Maps. Um, you know, I always wish that was a joke, right? It truly is. And, and then two years in India, two years Pakistan, two years New York City doing interagency work, year and a half in Afghanistan. And so I left Afghanistan, moved back to my hometown, ran for office and lost an election by like 700 votes. Glad I don't tell that story anymore. Um, but, it, but, it, but it gave me an opportunity to go in the private sector. And then I ran again and, and was successful.
2: So if I could ask a follow-up, um, at least in the popular imagination, uh, C- CIA is the opposite of bureaucratic. It's the opposite of process. <laughs> yeah. It's cut to the chase. It's oh. get, you know, take, not even take the hill. It's, mm. it's steal the stuff. Uh, Congress is the epitome of process. Uh, so how did the one prepare you for the other? What do you bring from
1: the former experience to the latter? You are one hundred percent accurate in your understanding of of the agency, and the reason I I
2: don't know if you knew this, but I I worked for the Department of State for a little so (laughs) absolutely,
1: and and as you know, the reason the, the CIA is able to be nimble is because everybody's geared towards the mission. The, the clandestine service, which I was in, are the collectors of last resort. If you can't get a piece of information any other way, that's when you go to the National Clandestine Service. So it's the hardest. It's the most expensive. It's the most dangerous way of, of getting information. And so everybody in the organization is geared towards that. And the frustrating thing about Congress, it, it was actually designed not to be efficient. The reason you have checks and balances is so that somebody, one individual can't come in and change things on a whim. So that's, that's actually a good thing. It's frustrating. um, But for me, I always remember my time in the agency. I remember my time in the private sector and try to bring the things I learned there into the legislative process. So, The thing that prepared me for the job is... I work on issues that I have an experience in right? yeah, there's not too many people that have my national security background or experience um, you know when we talk about border security i've been in some pretty nasty borders I, I've chased bad people all around the world um, and so I, so I have that experience and so when it comes to Congress having more of a role in national security and foreign policy um, we're able to' we're, you know i, I haven't have a role there um, I also also, the training as a professional intelligence officer, and, and I would expend. I would. I would also say our diplomatic corps. What we learn is how to ask really good questions. What we learn is how to get the right information from the right people to inform a particular decision, and and that is that's the role of an individual member of Congress. There are so many issues that you have to deal with in the course of a day, course of a week. And knowing how to gather that information, talk to the right stakeholders in order to formulate some kind of final position. And that's another thing that I've tried to do. And that's something that I've, I've um, had my, my team work on. And that's why I think we've been able to be successful in so many areas is because you know I seek to understand before being understood. And um, that's one of the reasons why uh, all the issues that impact my district, I take that approach.
0: Well, and one of the big issues that's impacting your district is, of course the immigration issue, which is what we're here this morning to talk about. You're here for our naturalization ceremony that's being hosted by the bush institute if you If you were in a vacuum and you could just write an immigration bill um in your with your pen this morning, what would that bill look like? It would be a market based system that was based
1: on need and you were it was so streamlined that it didn't take. Nine months to process a visa, right? Um, it's, that, it's that simple. The United States has benefited from the brain drain of every other country for the last couple of decades. I want to see that continue. And I want to benefit from the hardworking drain as well. You know, in my district, uh, unemployment across the country is is 3.94%. What does that mean? No matter what industry, agriculture or artificial intelligence, you need people. The thing that will stall our economy is the lack of a workforce to take advantage of opportunities. That's why we should be able to streamline our our, our, our immigration. And and when I say streamline, it starts with DACA. Right. These are 1.2 million kids, I shouldn't say kids, young men and women, that have only known the United States of America as their home. They were brought here through no fault of their own, they were brought here by their parents. They have all they all have. If if someone is a potential doctor recipient, it means they have a clean record. It means they've gone through high school. It means they're either uh, pursuing college or been working for eighty percent of the time that they've been out of school, or they want to go in the military. These 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 kids have uh, already contributing to our culture. Our economy, our society, they're Americans, we should make it permanent, right? And we should have a legislative, a a proper legislative fix. So that's DACA. You can also add TPS into this. TPS is Temporary Protected Status. These are people where there was a natural disaster in a country and they got a legal visa to come to the United States. Now, The first letter in this visa category is temporary. It was only supposed to be temporary. Many people have been here for a couple of decades. But they've been paying taxes. They've been paying into Social Security. Uh, If you look at, I think Texas has about 50,000 TPS. Many of them are in Houston. And many of those folks are in construction. So... They're rebuilding Houston still from, from Hurricane Harvey, and we're talking about kicking them out of the country? That makes no sense. Um, and so, oh, and by the way, there's not thousands of people that are waiting to get construction jobs that can be tapped in to, to come in and work. So, so those, those are the two areas that we should be able to, to f- sort out quickly. If you also streamline immigration so that people that need workers can get them, you relieve the pressure on the border for our men and women in Border Patrol to actually go after the stuff that's happening illegally. Sixty-seven billion dollars worth of illegal drugs coming into our country. Uh, you do have kingpin human smugglers uh, trying to bring back people into our country. So when you when you take away um, or, or when you when you make it easier for Border Patrol to st- to focus on the bad apples, it's going to improve security of our country. So and I can get into every little detail. Uh, another thing that's happening. It's something, the number is like 75% of kids that are in graduate programs at American universities in STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, are foreign-born. So one, we need to make sure more kids that grow up in the United States are taking STEM Going to STEM careers—that's number one. But number two, a lot of those people that we are educating here in the United States of America would love to stay in the United States of America, start businesses in the United States of America, contribute to great businesses that are already here. Yet a lot of them can't stay here. That's crazy. Um, and so, so being able to streamline that process um, would be would be a, a hallmark of of our plan. So, uh,
2: why is it so hard? Because everything you just said makes total sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've said many of those things, not as eloquently, of course, mm. myself. I've heard them said. Uh, President Bush has been committed to that proposition for fifteen years, twenty years. Why is it so hard?
1: It's hard because it's political, right? If you know the thing I've learned, most of the technical fixes to the problems we deal with are quite easy. However, what I just explained can't fit in 280 characters in a tweet. It takes time to explain it. It takes time to set up the problem. It takes time to explain the second and third order effects of certain decisions. And politicians don't have time to do that with their, with their electorate. So that's part of it. There is one part that uh, folks, and that's on my side of the aisle. Who Don't want to that want to see a decrease a net decrease In immigration coming into our to our country And then on the other side, there are people that no matter what Do not want to give a legislative victory to republicans So you have to deal with those Perspectives in this fight as well and it is—it's frustrating, especially frustrating because last Congress, the 115th Congress, um, we came two signatures away from getting a DACA fix. <laughs> It also would. We had we had already whipped this bill. It's called the USA Act. It's the only bipartisan border security um, immigration bill in Congress. It was um, drafted by a tall, dark, and handsome Texas um, legislator. What district uh, is he from? <laughs> it, it was me and, and my buddy Pete Aguilar. Pete Aguilar is a Democrat from California. I always feel like that's the setup of a joke, you know? <laughs> Republican from Texas and a Democrat from California walking to a bar. Um, <laughs> he so so and immediately we go to different sides <clears throat> <the> exactly <laughs> um so so we had whipped this bill meaning uh, whip, whipping means um you actually talk to individual legislators and say are you a yes or are you a no and if they say maybe why what, what do you need in order to get there so it's it's the process of, of garnering the votes um for a piece of legislation it would have passed if we would have gotten this bill to the floor it would have passed now what was preventing us from getting on the floor was the speaker of the house of representatives at the time and and we knew all the different elements that would bring people to this and we came two signatures away from a what was called a discharge petition this is this is a parliamentary tool for to force a vote on the floor and the reason we can we we're too shy from that it 's because Republican leadership prevented this from happening now in the one hundred and sixteenth Congress, the current Congress that we're in and i 'm not trying to be political here i 'm just trying to state facts it 's the current democratic leadership of the House that is preventing a bipartisan tool from going forward and 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 on the on the funding bill that passed uh, three weeks ago, four weeks ago now, maybe five weeks. It was democratic leadership that kept DACA and TPS off of that discussion. And honestly, the president had already intimated that he was willing to 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 play ball on that particular topic. So part again, it gets back to people trying to deny other side this political a political victory. And the people that get hurt. In this case, specifically, are the DACA kids who still are living under that uncertainty?
0: Well, that that brings us to one of your more newsworthy moments. I guess not newsworthy, but most uh, see the most attention in the news was your road trip with Beto O'Rourke during the snowstorm. Um, How does that? How do moves like that, you think, help with the legislative process?
1: Well. Here's what was crazy. During that whole experience, we had like 26 million people watch. We were on every news program, which tells me that people actually want us to get along and solve big problems, that the American people want that. However, when we consume our news, we are making it, you know, we're the ones clicking on stuff that reinforces our own thoughts, biases, things like that. Um, And, but in our, I think in, in most people's hearts, they really want folks to be able to, to get, to get along. Um, I've been in Congress for four and a half years now. What's, what is strange is, and what, what most people would find, would would, would think is, is odd. The individual relations between members is actually quite warm. When the lights on, on when the cameras on, on everybody's in, in incredibly cordial. And you know, I had an experience where it was my first time going on a news program with a group: two Republicans, two Democrats. And in the green room we were all talking about the things we were working on together. And then we went out to the cameras. It was like holy mackerel. It was like a, you know, the WWE Royal Rumble. Right. Um and and I, I just I, I I just found it very, very odd. And then afterwards, you know, we all were talking about the hey, we're gonna follow up on this, I'm gonna follow up on that. So so um part of the reason we know each other but we know each other superficially and when and during the road trip what would happen is so it was a so it was a 36 hour trip from san antonio to washington dc 31 hours in the car 29 hours live streamed What's we, we'll in those other two hours is the question. <laughs> yeah, <You're right. Well, laughs> we, we yeah it, it was it was bad cell service. Actually, I was pretty shocked that only from watch from, from from San Antonio to Washington D.C. there was only like two uh, hours worth of 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 of, of um, road that we didn't have good cell phone service. It was pretty it was pretty it was pretty amazing. Um, in that when we took, we, we try to make it the the longest rolling telephone town hall. Right. And we took questions the whole time. So we had like an eight hour debate on healthcare. We talked about every single issue imaginable and many of the topics we talked over and over again because people would ask those questions and you, you start learning, Hey, both sides really actually cares about the community. They really want to solve problems for people. Um, and you just may differ on the tactic. But I think when you have more of that kind of interaction, you don't demonize the other side, right? You don't have contempt for the other side. And uh, that is the only way, the only way we're going to solve these problems, right, is, as, as I said, at the top of the show, is by working together.
0: You'd almost expect that you get you get a Republican and Democrat in the car, they're not even going to be able to agree on what to listen to or what road to take, and it's fisticuffs the whole way. And then you say, no, it's, this is we we all want the same destination. We just have a little bit different ideas of the best way to get there, but we can talk it out and figure it out. And um, it's a great symbolic gesture.
1: Look, one of the things I love, like my, 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 my friend Pete Aguilar in California – when it comes to immigration and border security, he's so smart on the issues. And, and so, so the ability to have a, a, a technical conversation with someone who understands the ins and the outs of the topic, that's how you get things done. And so so, having those kind of those substantive matter you know subject matter experts on on a particular topic and knowing who those folks are is is really valuable
2: so that strikes me as what you just described I, I understand and, and, and accept you know the idea that uh, you guys, men and women on the hill, are colleagues you talk to each other you have you understand one another in a, in a certain sense, and yet when it comes to the public facing Piece of it, you know, you have to kind of play to your amen corners, right? Mm-hmm. So, so how do we get out of that? Because that, because that's obviously harmful, right? Because ultimately, it that degrade, degrades your ability to be collegial with those people when you ha- when you when you indulge in those personal attacks in public.
1: Well, I, I think part of it is the structure of our elections. I, I actually believe more districts should be like mine, where it's truly fifty fifty. And so, if if your the way you win an election, if you if you talk to the professional political class, the people that run races, pollsters, all that, they're going to say in the election create contrast. So if you're always if, if your goal is to create contrast between you and your opponent, guess what you do all the time? Create contrast. And so in, in a district like mine which is one of the only it's is truly the only 5050 in Texas it's the it's only one of three districts that um Mitt, so that, that that Hillary Clinton won in 2016 that is represented by a Republican. It's the only district that Mitt Romney won, Hillary Clinton won and a, a Republican is representing it in Congress. I am rewarded. For actually working across political lines i 'm rewarded for getting things done right and so um, that is that is i think ultimately the way we change you got to change the kinds of people that go to washington d c but you also have to change the reward structure so that you're not you know you get you get rewarded for actually working and solving problems rather than um, um, you know, talking about the issue, you know, everybody talks about messaging, got to message this issue. And I'm always like, hey, here's a novel idea. How about you actually do something and then go tell everybody what you did? You know, that's a little bit better way of of getting things done. So I think and, and that's hard to do that because ultimately the, various, the states are the ones that decide how um, political lines are drawn.
0: I guess we can, we're running out of time, so we can close with one final question that we love to ask our guests, and that's, what as a nation are we not talking about enough that we should be talking about? 5G.
1: And, and here's why I say that. The reason Google, Amazon, um, Facebook, Twitter are American companies is because the 4G infrastructure in America was best in the world. So all that wealth was created, was called the, you know, the, the applications that went on top of 4G was created in the United States. China recognized that. And that's why they made a decision to be the world's leader in 5G because they don't necessarily want to be the leader in 5G. They want all those companies that are going to own the 5G space to be Chinese companies. So what does 5G get us? If anybody's ever downloaded a movie, like a 4K movie on their phone, it takes a while. With 5G, you'll be able to do it in literally under a second. 5G does something where it allows a device to stay connected to the network longer than when you have on 4G, which allows you to do things like truly... Wide area autonomous vehicles. It allows you to do things like smart cities. Um, and so all that future, all those future companies are going to be built on the back of 5G. G. company called Huawei, it's in the news quite often. Cheapest and best technology. Guess what? There are no U.S. competitors to the devices that you need to create a 5G network. All you have is Nokia, Samsung, and um Uh, Erickson. So we need to make sure that the 5G build out in our in our cities that we go faster because that is going to be the test bed where all these new companies that could be the billion dollar companies can come and develop their widget or their their service Um, and whoever and why does this matter? The future economy will be based on this type of technology, and I want it to be based in the United States of America. I also want the uh, the way it's built and the rules of how it's used to be used, to be done by freedom-loving Western liberal democracies, because China is not developing facial recognition to make it easier to buy groceries in the grocery store.
0: Right.
1: They're using it in order to, to, to commit, the Chinese government is doing it in order to continue to commit human rights abuses against their population. So it's a very technical issue, but it really, that means our kids have to learn, you know, these technologies in the future. Our, it is an
0: existential threat to our economy. And that's what you get when you have a computer science.
1: Uh, <laughs> Maybe I'm bi- you're saying I'm biased. You know, you're saying I'm biased. Yeah,
0: yeah as, a, as a fellow computer science graduate, that's that's where the solutions start. Uh, Congressman Hurd, thank you so much for the time this morning. We really appreciate you spending a few minutes with us. My pleasure. If you enjoyed today's episode and would like to help us spread the word about The Strategist, please give us a five star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the major listening apps. If you're tuning in on a smartphone, tap or swipe over the cover art. You'll find episode notes with helpful information and details you may have missed. The Strategist was produced by Ioana Pappas at the George W. Bush Institute in Dallas, Texas. Thank you for listening.